Welcome to Mindset Sagas. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Laxo and I'll be your host. In this show, we try to look at the past in order to better understand our present and when possible to see those tangents that may help us to understand the future. In today's episode, we will be talking about games as education. We will be joined by David Chapman, who recently gave a presentation on the subject of gamification at JALT, the Japan Association for Language Teaching, and he's been teaching at various levels since 1996. Many schools and countries around the world are challenging the ways that students view school by making the experience more accessible and desirable to students through games. Games have been around longer than our species. Anyone looking at a kitten pouncing around corners can see the tiger in training. The earliest games which we play as children are at the core of survival training. Hide and seek and tag are really just the same games that many hunting species practice when young. As we humans began to form societies with additional levels of complexity, it was also necessary, if not inevitable, that we would make our games more complex as well. Some games rely purely on one's ability to think ahead, while others require one to adapt to random chance and what the fates have on offer. In the camp of the former is chess. Looking back through history, we can see that in this game, we have trained minds for war and politics, and more recently to teach computers how to beat us at our own game, in order for their programmers and builders to prove the prowess of their creations. The origin of chess seems to date back to northern India sometime between 280 and 550 CE. Old as that may seem, there are countless board games which tested mental metal which predate this. Being able to adapt to unexpected circumstances on the fly is a handy skill for generals and rulers. One of the earliest games which we know of has a factor of chance to it as well. Take the game Sinet, which was a game from ancient Egypt, which dates as far back as 3500 BCE. Unlike chess, this game appears to have coupled strategy with a factor of luck to it. Games with an educational intent can also sometimes have their message completely go off the rails, fun though the game may be. In 1904, an American woman by the name of Elizabeth McGee patented a board game which she called the Landlord's Game. There is a good chance that you have played, or at least have seen this game in its rebranded form. For the game I am talking about is the well-known board game Monopoly. The name change to the more familiar one we know today was brought about when the game was patented for a second time by Charles Darrow in 1935. Elizabeth McGee lived in a time of extremely wealthy moguls who were speedily buying up large amounts of land and natural resources and renting out those spaces out to tenants for huge profits. She saw this as a problem as she believed in an economic philosophy called Georgism which is a philosophy which sees land and natural resources as being there for the benefit of all. She had hoped that by creating a fun game which highlighted economic disparity in land grabbing, that she could inspire young players to have an awareness of the unfairness of the system in which they lived. In this, she had failed, as the victor of these games was the one who had defeated all of their rivals and had the most money by the game's end. So from a psychological point of view, this was actually offering a reward for behavior that she found troubling. Although her creative idea was worthy of success, her intended message was completely lost. To give you an idea of how this game came to be viewed, consider that it was banned in the Soviet Union as being pro-capitalist. Similarly, when Fidel Castro's communists came to power in Cuba, he likewise banned the game for similar reasons. So games can be tools to learn ideas or techniques if managed correctly, but if not fully thought out, 
one can actually have less than a desired effect. In recent years, the positive aspects and draw of games has become more mainstream, and there is a term being used with increasing frequency in educational circles and classrooms. Gamification. What is it? I'd like to bring on my guest, David Chapman, who has experienced teaching in Japan at various levels since 1996 and recently gave a presentation at the Japan Association for Language Teaching, otherwise known as JALT. Here is that interview. Hello, David. Hello. How are you doing today? Very good, thank you. Good, good. So gamification is an interesting subject. What is gamification exactly? Uh, gamification... I guess the simplest way of explaining gamification is using games to teach people something. Mm -hmm. And um, games and gamification can run the gamut from role plays to um, simulation games to games that are done in the language learning classroom. Well, as an educator, I'm, I'm curious, why are games especially important to what you do? Well, um... Games are especially important to me because they are a tool to get the students to study and use language in about as close of a real situation as I can possibly get. Um, in my case, Japanese students who are native speakers speaking in English, which is not their native language. Hmm. Well, as you said, you've been uh, doing this a while there in Japan, so I'd like to ask you, uh, what is the biggest obstacle when it comes to introducing games into your uh, curriculum? Um, I guess there's a certain bias on some people's part that because it's fun, it's not really learning. Um, some of my students and some of the people I've met here um, seem to associate the idea of having fun with not being the same thing as learning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's, there seems to be a certain bias on some people's part. Of course, this is not everybody by any stretch of the imagination. Um, that learning is it's a difficult process mm. and that um, to study um, it's got to be tough. And if it's not tough, then it's not really teaching you something. And Unfortunately, that bias is not just in Japan, mm -hmm. and that's, I guess that's the biggest challenge for me is how do I explain it to the students that they are doing something that is contributing to their education and to get them on board with trying stuff. Okay. Well, I want to ask you, how would you approach parents of students who perhaps grew up in a different generation with a different mindset? What's your, uh, how do you bridge that gap? I guess one way that I would try and do it is explain how um, sometimes language that we use in games and the language that we use in education, they're both similar. Um, in fact, there's a lot of overlap between the two. And that um, to try and explain to the students and the, t and the parents um, just sometimes how the language is just different mm. and the concepts are the same. For example, in education, we call them students. In games, we call them players. Um, in education, we call them assignments. And in games, we call them goals. Um, education, you hand in something. And in a game, you accomplish something. Um, education, you talk about due dates. Well, in games, we say time limit. 
Um, and in education, we talk about grades, but we also talk about scores, which also is um, something we talk about in games. Feedback. Um, feedback is feedback both in education and in games. Or also another word we use in games are challenges, further challenges. For example, if you're talking about video games, you could talk about the boss. You know, you're beating the boss of the level. Well, what we call those in education is a final exam. And um, defeating the enemy or winning the game in a game is what we call passing a class in education. Mm. So I I think that um, one of the big things would be for me as an educator to educate the students and the parents how it's not an either-or situation, that there is overlap and that... um, They both share the same general goals. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, a good lesson has a clear goal and an outcome, Mm -hmm. and a a game has a clear goal and an outcome. Um, Also, uh, for example, in the language setting, um, there's a clear set of rules on how we accomplish the goal, which is, um, you know, how do we use the language? And in a game, you have to follow the structure of the rules, and you have to play within the structure of the game. Um, also, a good lesson has actionable next steps working towards the um, goal or the final outcome. Well, that's the same thing as the game. A reasonable chance of success, but also a chance of failure. That's obviously we want our students to do well, but um, if everything is too easy, then it's no challenge to the students and it doesn't keep them going. Well, a game does the same thing. A game works on challenging people. And when you get good enough, then you're going to have to be further challenged. And the other thing that um, games and a good lesson have is quick and frequent feedback. Um, The feedback could come from teachers or it could also come from peers. Right. Right. Now, I I have a question, though, about uh, the way kids are nowadays. Do students have more of an attention deficit than before? Does games address that at all? Um, I think that the students um, want more feedback, mm-hmm. want more feedback more immediately, mm-hmm. and I think games help provide them that. Mm-hmm. I don't know that the students are necessarily are less attention. I mean, I would say that sometimes they get bored more quickly, mm-hmm. and that they want to find out how they're doing a little bit more. And so I think that's a that's a change in the situation. Mm-hmm. Well, have you, have you noticed a change over the years in your experience as a teacher in terms of the way these students react to material? Um, they seem to be more demanding of more polished materials. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess because of the internet and how games and video games. Obviously, the artwork is has definitely developed, especially since you know when I was a kid, when it was the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, or you know the artwork for you know printed documents and such were much more rough than they are now, and because you know color printers and such are infinitely cheaper than they were when I was a kid, I think the students kind of have a higher expectation. Of the graphics or the um, the artwork and such. Mm. 
How about the role of technology in the classroom? Surely that's changed over the recent years. What are the impacts that you've seen? Um, some of the impacts I've seen are that students have the opportunity to um, connect with people in other countries that they might not have had the opportunity to connect with. Um, also, there are certain resources that we have available to us as teachers now. For example, Quizlet, which is a online flashcard system. And one of the nice things about the Quizlet system is, amongst other things, it's free, but also the other thing is is that it will actually pronounce the words for the students so the students can see the word and have an immediate pronunciation of that word and they can keep going at it. The other thing with that is, with Quizlet, is they have some game, game-like features in it where um, the students are encouraged to experiment and play and to beat their own high scores. And instead of competing with other people, they're competing against themselves. And how well did I do before? And that technology really is encouraging the students to, um, to try, I think, sometimes. Now, where does this term gamification really come from? Because I've, I can imagine that there have been games uh, used for training purposes throughout history, and we could see it even in the animal kingdom. So where did that start from? Um, I'm not exactly sure the exact origin of the word gamification, but I know that there's a very um, important author, and his mm-hmm. name is Carl M. Cap. Mm-hmm. And I know that he does a lot of work with gamification. And I wouldn't be surprised if he was one of the people who helped coin the phrase gamification or if he were encouraging the use of the word gamification. Okay, that's good. And and the last question I have for you today is I know that you teach various levels of education. So what is the difference in, in how this material is regarded by say, junior high school students as opposed to, let's say, university students? Um, It really is interesting how the different levels embrace the different uses of games and technology. Um, It's interesting because a lot of the university students seem to be a lot more technologically savvy um, Mm -hmm. and have more computers used in their classroom. So they seem to embrace the technological aspects of it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But um, that's, I think, just because they have more opportunity to use it in the classroom. Right. Okay. Well, that's very interesting, David, and I really appreciate you coming out tonight to speak to us. So I will uh, hopefully have you again on the show sometime. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. Take care, David. Okay, thank you. Well, I can only speak for myself, but I have to say that motivating students in education has clearly become more essential than when I was a lad. That being said, education is more fun than it used to be, and we'll be looking into that in more detail starting next time as we start our journey into discovering how our forebears handled and perceived education. Thank you all for listening in. I hope you tune in again next time. Special thanks goes out to David Chapman and to Kant Koga, who supplies a Japanese summary of what we've discussed on this podcast on our website. You can find our website at www.mindsetsagas.com.